So, so glad that you're here celebrating Christmas with us. We're glad that you're with us. And uh, we've been in a series called Christmas Changes Everything. And a few weeks ago, we started that, and we were reminding people how at the time of Christ's birth, it had been 750 years before that, that Isaiah said that the Messiah was coming and would be born of a virgin. I mean, so all that was prophesied. And the people were waiting because at the time of Christ's birth, 750 years after that, they were occupied by Rome. They had been conquered by Rome. They were a conquered nation and Rome controlled everything. Uh, They didn't like it. Rome uh, oppressed them. Rome uh, taxed them. Uh, Rome controlled them. Even their worship in the temple had to really be by permission of Rome. I mean, Rome kind of controlled every area of their society. And it's actually the whole reason that Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem because of what? Because Rome decided that they wanted uh, to, to find out who was in their kingdom. I mean, they, they did the whole thing of, of doing a census. And so all the people of Israel, they were waiting for the Messiah to come. And, and they expected that when the Messiah did come, that he would deal with Rome. That he would get rid of Rome, overthrow Rome, rebel, do something that Rome wouldn't be an issue anymore because they all viewed that their problems were because of Rome. Because of Rome, they were oppressed. Because of Rome, you know, uh, they couldn't worship freely. Because without Rome, they would have more economic prosperity. I mean, everything was Rome. And that's what they were expecting to happen. And then Jesus came. I'd like to start reading in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. And so if you have a device with a Bible on it, turn it on and follow along. And otherwise, grab a Bible on the chair rack in front of you. But this is Matthew writing in the first century, and here's what he says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. We're in verse 18. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together... She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. And I just want to pause there for a minute because a lot of people don't understand what's going on there with this betrothal period. Betrothal was a Jewish custom in the first century where when you got engaged, you legally became husband and wife, but you didn't live together or consummate your marriage until a year later. By the way, this is a bad custom. So you get married and and you're locked in, but then you don't actually sleep together for an entire year. That's what this betrothal period was. And as a matter of fact, to to end a marriage, to, to break the engagement required a divorce even though you've never consummated your marriage. That's just the way it was. Not saying that's a good idea, just saying that's the the way it was. And remember, back then, marriages were arranged, which means, could you imagine? Which meant your parents picked your spouse for you. How, How many 
think of that as a, a scary idea or how many like that? Probably depends on how old you are, you know. So some of you that have kids, like, I could do that. And some of you, no, no, I don't think so. But that, that's scary. I mean, that's exactly what happened. And along with that went a dowry. A dowry was a, a price that was paid by the groom or the groom's parents to the family of the bride. And, the, and I think the betrothal period was kind of connected to that. And by the way, we think that's so weird, a dowry price. Do you realize that dowries still happen in, I think, about every continent in the world except for Europe and North America? There's still places that do dowries. As a matter of fact, one time, years ago, I was in the Central African Republic, and I was with a young man, and he was telling me about his girlfriend that he had had for some time. And I said, well, why don't you get married? And he said, because of the dowry. And I said, well, what's the dowry? And he threw it out to me. We're driving through the streets of Bangui. And, he th- and I'm trying to do the math as we're driving along to convert that. And if I was right, that was $10,000 American in a country where people only made about six bucks a day. And so, you know, I'm doing the math going, oh, yeah, I guess that would be a problem. And people still have dowries today. But the betrothal period, if you think about this, as this family is paying this money, and this is before pregnancy tests and all this, it was this money payment was made, and then you entered into this contract of marriage, which, by the way, marriage is still a legal contract. And while you're in this contract, then you didn't sleep with each other for a year to make sure that the lady was pure, meaning did not come into the marriage already pregnant with somebody else's child. So you waited that time to make sure that wasn't the case. Then you consummated your marriage, but you were already considered married. It's during this time, this waiting time, legally married, but haven't come together yet, when Mary shows up pregnant. And this is devastating for her family, especially for her groom, Joseph. I mean, and she must have tried to explain it. Of course, nobody can really believe this, her explanation about what was revealed to her. But Joseph's a good guy who follows God, and, and we can tell that he's a righteous guy because he's trying to do the right thing, but he's also trying to do it in a merciful way. And what he does is he decides that he's going to divorce Mary because obviously she's been with somebody else, but he wants to do it quietly so he doesn't publicly disgrace her or shame her, so he arranges for her to be He arranges to divorce her quietly and kind of send her away so there's not as much uh, scandal and all that happening. Now, we'll pick it up in verse 20. Ready? Verse 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. 
And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So do you see what's happening there? And, and the big question that we might have is why? Why would God do it this way? If God is going to come in human form, he could have just appeared as a man. It would have been no less miracle, really. He could have just showed up, did some teaching, and then ultimately die on the cross, which is what his plan was. But he comes as a baby. In doing that, he, as far as the culture was concerned, ruined the reputation of Mary. Because she's engaged, betrothed, she has a husband, and now she's pregnant. Not only that, but when Joseph doesn't divorce her during the engagement period, then everybody would naturally assume that he was the father and that he was also guilty of doing something that by their custom they weren't supposed to do. So God does it this way and ends up sort of ruining the reputations of both Joseph and Mary in order to be born as a baby. Think of how this would have affected Mary. Mary's a young lady. She's pure, but all of a sudden she's with child. And now her, all her dreams about a storybook wedding, whatever those dreams were, gone. How many ladies... When you were young, when you were a girl, sort of dreamed about how your wedding would be. Anybody? Okay, that's way better than the last service. So, yeah, you're, you're with me. Yeah, I've noticed that. You know, so ladies will, will dream, you know, plan. They're planning their wedding, you know, when they're 10 years old sometimes. You know, Mary didn't get that. Mary didn't get to have a, a big celebration with her family and her friends and the community. She didn't get to ride off into the sunset, you know, on a donkey with the just married sign on the back. You know, she didn't get to do that. Why would God do it this way? And I think God did it this way to reveal himself as a helpless baby for, to illustrate for us or to show us the closeness of relationship that we can now have with God to show us the intimacy that we can have with God in our lives that that nearness that closeness and here Christmas changed everything changed everything for Joseph for Mary and for us and so here's what I want to talk about today Christmas changed the way we understand God. Christmas changed the way we understand ourselves, and Christmas changed the way we understand salvation, or the way we understand God's plan for, for rescuing us. So first thing is, Christmas changed the way that we see God. That started with Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary, they grew up in a town, Nazareth. They have a synagogue there where they learn all about God. And then they can travel to Jerusalem, several days travel, but they can go to Jerusalem where they can formally worship God. 
And like other Jewish people, they learned about God and learned that God was totally transcendent, that he was creator, you know, that, that he was above all creation and all things. And Jewish people, unlike their neighbors, other countries around them, Jewish people believed in one supreme God who was over all and who created all. And what's, what's ironic about this is the Jewish people were the last group of people on earth in the first century who would believe that God could come in the form of a human being. They were the last ones that would ever be able to believe that. Other cultures, Roman culture, Greek culture, that was okay. God and people kind of intermixed and, you know, they could, that would all be understandable. But for the Jewish people, that's impossible. That could never happen. But an angel came to Joseph in a vivid dream saying, hey, Joseph, don't fear about your wife. The human life that is in her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And this rocks their world. And then, and then the, the angel tells Joseph in this dream, you're going to have a son, and you're going to, you're to name him Jesus. And then it gives why. For he will save his people from their sins. And the prophet Isaiah also said, that's mentioned here, that he will also, besides Jesus, be called Emmanuel, which literally translated simply means God with us. And, and that's amazing. The whole concept of, of Emmanuel is mind-blowing. God with us. Transcendent, powerful, almighty, creator God came into the world as a helpless infant. And that's what Christmas is all about, right? That's what Christmas is. That's what Christmas is all about. And why as a baby? That connection. Now, today, that's Joseph and Mary. Today, we, people in our culture, we want to celebrate Christmas without celebrating the teaching of Christmas. Most of our culture celebrates Christmas without celebrating the implications of Christmas or what it actually means. And because of that, in our culture today, there's this tremendous pressure on Christians to say that, that they have a, and most of this is from non-religious folk who have their own beliefs, but they don't, you know, it's different. But anyway... There's this pressure on Christians that we, that we would say that we, Christianity is just one good religion among other good religions in the world. But what they don't understand is that's fundamentally not what Christianity is. Christianity is saying God came into the world as a human being. That Jesus Christ of Nazareth was fully man and fully God. And if that's true, then Christianity is true and there is no other good religion because they're all false. They're all lies. Now, on the other hand, if Jesus 
came and he was not truly the son of God, then we can safely dismiss Christianity because it's not worth anything. We can kick it out. We, don't, we, don't, we can safely just dismiss it because it would not be true then. It's ironic that holidays like Christmas, maybe especially Christmas, that at this time of year, some people experience depression and loneliness or depression because of loneliness, maybe more than any other time of the year. And I say, I say that to say it's ironic. And a lot of time it's because people have lost people. And the holidays like Christmas are, are times that we celebrate with family. And so it can have this intense loneliness if you've lost somebody or don't have somebody to celebrate with. But at Christmas time, that's especially ironic because Christmas is all about God with us. And when we enter a relationship with God through faith that Christmas makes possible, we are never alone in our lives. God will never leave us, he promises. He will never forsake us. We will never, ever be alone if we respond to God in faith. He will always be with us. That's what, that's what Christmas leads us to. So don't miss the impact of that one word, Emmanuel. So Christmas changes the way we see God. Now it's God in flesh. Christmas also changes the way we see ourselves. Now, it's a little harder to see, but track with me. That happened for Joseph and Mary. They're raising Jesus. He's all human, but he's also holy, righteous God. He's sinless. And, uh, and that had to impact him. And here's how, here's how that impacts um, we're in the social media age, and because of that, my wife often will post pictures and stuff, and sometimes I'm in those pictures. And maybe like you, when somebody shows you a picture that you're in, you kind of notice everybody, you know, looks nice and good, and then you see yourself, and it's like, oh. And my first thing is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I, I don't even say this anymore. I used to say it, but I'd be like, Pam, you couldn't find a better picture than this? I mean, I look terrible in this, but that's what I used to think. You know, surely there's a better picture. I don't really look like that. I mean, come on. You know, surely there was a better picture. After 10 years of that, now I'm like, oh, bummer. That's how I look. You know, they're all that way. It's terrible. And it can kind of do a number on your self-image. And think about this. Some people, some people, by just hanging around other people, because as human beings... Our self-image kind of is dictated by how we compare ourselves to other people. And so some people, just by hanging around other people, other people who they think have it all together, that will sort of impact negatively their own self-image. You know, I'm hanging around these people, and they're so beautiful. Or this guy, he's just slaying it at work and just nailing it. And, uh, and these people, you know, they, they have such a great relationship. Or this, and, and, we're, and then we, we see that, and then we're like, wow. Now, I thought our marriage was pretty good till I saw that. Wow, I thought I was doing pretty good in the world. And then all of a sudden, that's our self-image can take a hit. Just by hanging around people, is part, for some people, that happens. Can you imagine... 
the hit that Joseph and Mary took raising a perfectly righteous son? And we don't even think about that, right? Here's what we know. We know uh, that that we don't know a lot about Jesus' childhood after his birth. Really, the next time Jesus shows up, as Scripture lays out for us, these eyewitness accounts, is when he's 12 years old. He's 12 years old. He's living with his parents in Nazareth. They go down to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, which they would have gone, probably relatives would have gone, a lot of the people in their town, a bunch of people in their town, they would all have kind of went down in a little caravan or a group to Jerusalem Passover. Well, then they're all leaving because Passover's over, and it took several days. Several days later, they're all leaving, they're at, and it's a multi-day trip. You know, it takes, say, a week to, to get there. And they're one day out of Jerusalem on the way back to Nazareth, and they, they lost Jesus. I mean, anybody ever, has anybody ever been in a crowded area where you've lost a child? First of all, bad parent. <laughs> Second of all, yeah, that's happened to Pam and I before. It's scary. It's unnerving, right? So they find out, well, Jesus is not with our people. So they travel a day back to Jesus. They search and I have a story about that, but I'm not telling you that story. And they come back to Jesus. They come back to Jerusalem. They search for Jesus. It takes them another day to find Jesus. It's been three days. They finally catch up to Jesus in the temple. And what is he doing? He's sitting with some of the main teachers in Jerusalem, exchanging ideas. I mean, he's interacting with some of the brightest minds in Jerusalem at the time. And, and all these teachers are going, wow, this kid is sharp. And the parents are going, wow, what's he doing? Okay, so we know that Jesus interacted that way. I wonder if that ever showed up in their family. Uh, By the way, mom and dad, you know, you're thinking that that's completely wrong. Here's the way it ought to be. You know, who knows? I don't know how that would have been. What I do know is Jesus actually had younger siblings. The Bible tells us that. How about those younger siblings? Can you imagine? I mean, I was the oldest, and my brothers that were younger than me didn't have to worry about you know, the standard that I set, that was no problem. Could you imagine being Jesus's younger sibling and your parents would be on you and you'd be like, well, Jesus didn't do that. They'd be telling you, hey, can you be a little more like Jesus? You know, it'd be like, okay, I get it. I get it. He's perfect. Right. Or even the parents of other kids comparing their kids to Jesus. Come on, Johnny. Can't you be more like Jesus? Come on. You got this. I don't know how that was, but here's what I know. Jesus would have done a number if they were wired up that way on their own self-image. Because Mary and Joseph would have known they did not measure up to his righteousness. And the question is, how about you? Do you, how how do you see yourself in that way? And it's a question of kind of how we see ourselves. Some of you that have been around here know that I've had a lot of weird jobs in my days before I came to Grace. And one of them was a job where we did dignitary protection. And so for a man who got many death threats every month. And so we trained with firearms, but we also did some physical training. We had a department of about 40 men. And one of our newer guys on the department was actually a guy who had trained a lot in the martial arts. He was actually a black belt in five different disciplines 
of martial arts. He was just a bad dude. And he had served in the special forces. So this guy was like, he's good. So anyway, we're all there. There's like 30 of us. And we're just going to do this introductory, kind of how to what we called physically controlling people and doing come-alongs and stuff, moving people. But anyway, we're there. And so he gets out there and he puts on the gloves and he's basically, I need somebody to go around with me. I'm going to show you some stuff. You know, we're all sitting there. This guy's about this tall. He's 50 pounds heavier than me. He's muscle. And, you know, we're just all sitting there like, Man, I don't think so. And, and then he's like, no, I, no, seriously, I need somebody to, to come out here and go around with me. And nobody wants to do it. And then there's like 30 or 40 of us. And finally, I get embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for, what's wrong with you guys? Are, we, are, are you all wimps? And then I'm thinking, what, what's wrong with me? I'm not doing this either. So finally, he's like, hey. And so finally, I'm in the back, and out of sheer embarrassment for our whole group, I slowly stand up, and he says, Kevin? And I slowly stand up, and I say, I'll do it. And so I go out there, quickly put on the gloves, and this is mixed martial arts, which I don't know anything about. But anyway, so we're out there. And, and, he, and here's what I know as I go out there. I know he's like on a scale, he's like a 10. And I'm giving myself a three. You know, so I know it's not going to be great, but I'm giving myself a three. So I go out there and then we start dancing around. And, it's so, and, and he's kind of throwing some punches and I am, nothing's really landing. And it's going that way. One time I, I sort of step in to a right hook and I connect. It's like, boom, oh, I connected. So I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good about that. And then pretty soon we're, we're doing a little more. He tags me one, and then I, I know, and I'm trying different punches, and only one's connected. So pretty soon I step in with a little harder, because, you know, and I step in with more leather, and I connect again. And now I'm thinking, maybe I'm not a three. Maybe I'm a five or a six. Because this so far is going really well. And so we're continuing, and then he tags me a pretty good shot. And it got my blood up a little bit. You know how that happens, you know, guys? And so my blood's up a little bit. And, and so I'm boxing, but I have this one money shot. And so I'm, I'm trying to not telegraph that. But sure enough, I step in and I load up on a right hook. I mean, I'm going to give this, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to take his head off. I'm, I'm giving this everything I have. And I load up and I swing. And before my glove gets to his head, his, his head disappears. He's not there anymore. And so I keep swinging. And he sweeps my legs. Remember MMA, not boxing? He swept my legs so hard that I landed on my shoulders and my head with my feet chest high in the air. That's how I landed. Almost, if he would have done that any harder, I would have done a full 360 and stayed on my feet. He swept me so hard. And then he was on me and mercifully did not beat me to a pulp. But it was just like, wow. Wow. And there's more to this story. I don't even know if I should share it. Okay, yeah, hang on, yeah. So, so that's just kind of the beginning training. Well, later we decide that some people who are doing more of this dignitary protection need more training. And so this guy works for our department. So he's tapped to train us. And now there's just five or six of us. And for a year, this guy gives us free lessons in MMA. We're basically, we go up to this... Uh, wrestling room in a, in a university and, and we just go we just pair off two by two just pounding each other uh mma style it, it, like mma the only difference is 
we wore judo gis, and that's the only way you could choke somebody out. You couldn't do like the rear. There were limits on how we choke people out. But anyway, and we're just pounding each other. It was brutal. It was brutal. But you know, you're in your 20s. People just do that. But it was, it was hard. Toward the end of that training, and I learned, we all learned a ton. We were way different fighters than we were at the beginning. All right. At the end of the training, we're about to wrap it up, and it's the same thing. There's five, he says, I want you, guys, and we've just been pairing off this home. I want you guys to sit here. We all sit down. He goes, there's one, before, before we end our training, there's a couple more moves that I want to show you. These are just higher level, more brutal moves. By the way, our training got brutal. We were all leaving beat up every day. And then he says, I got some more to teach you. I need a volunteer. <laughs> and nobody volunteers. Nobody. And there's, you know, five or six of us. And he, no, come on, guys. I need a volunteer. I want to show you this. And nobody wants to do it. And then finally, a couple guys look back at me. I'm in the back. And, and then he says, Kevin. And so I, I slowly stand up and I say, no way. You know, I'm not doing it. And so, no way. Because here's what happened. When he was a 10, I was a 3. Now, after a year of training, I realized that I was like a 7 or an 8. But during that same year, I found out he's not a 10. He's like a 37 and a half. So even though I was twice as good as I was when I started, I realized that the gap between us is way bigger than I ever, ever thought. And I didn't want to be permanently damaged. That's how it is with God. That's how it is with God. You see, a lot of people, they, they look at God and they say, oh, God is transcendent and holy. And some people do this. Well, if he's perfectly holy, well, then he can't even look at me. He doesn't want anything to do with me. He can't save me. He can't do anything for me. I'm a lost cause. Probably even more people in our culture today look at that a different way. And they would say, oh, transcendent, righteous, holy God. Okay, who's the judge? All right, well, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm actually a pretty good person. I give to charity. I take care of my family. I don't cheat on my taxes. I, I'm a pretty good guy. There's no way God is going to judge me. No way that he's going to send me somewhere, and he's not going to send me away from him forever in hell. That's not going to happen. And both of those are wrong. But Christians, as Christians, it's completely different. We realize that when we put our faith in Christ and we start following him, that if it's real in us, we actually demonstrate change in our lives and we actually become more moral. It's not earning our salvation. It's just because we want to follow Christ. We want to do what he wants us to do. We're not perfect, but we, over time, become more and more moral. But over that same time, we learn more and more about God and we realize we haven't closed the gap the gap has increased. Even though we've become more moral, we realize God is way, way, way beyond our imagination in his holiness as we discover more and more about him as we try to follow him. So Christmas changed the way we see God and it changed the way we see ourselves in relation to God. And last, Christmas changes the way we understand God's plan to save us, or Christmas changes the way we understand salvation. In the first century, 
Joseph and Mary, even knowing from God that they were raising the Messiah, they probably, like everybody else in Israel, expected that when Jesus gets older, he's going to deal with Rome. The thorn in our sides. When Jesus gets older, he's going to lead a rebellion. He's going to be a general. He's going to be a leader. Somehow, he is going to revolt against Rome, get rid of Rome, because that's what we need. And I bet it was hard for them to focus on those words of that announcement when the angel said to Joseph in a dream, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will... For what will he do? Save, good, his people, great, from their oppressor, circumstances, life, what? Sins. It will save their people from their sins. Mary and Joseph, like everyone else, needed Jesus because something was broken inside them just like it is broken inside of everyone else every one of us. Now, it's the same way today. If I were to take a video camera, and we used to do the man on the street videos, and sometimes show them at church, haven't done that for a while, but if I was to go out on a street corner downtown during the Christmas holidays, everybody's shopping, and just stop people on the corner and say, hey, if Jesus was with me today, if God showed up right now, and he, and he said, what do you want me to do for you? What would you want him to do? I guarantee you nine people out of ten would say, oh, well, I would ask God to do this for me, uh, to give me health or help me with my financial problems or, or do this or do that or relationship or whatever it is. Some circumstance. That's the way we think. But here's the problem with that. Jesus did not come to take care of some problem out there, outside of us, some circumstance that we're in. Jesus came to deal with our bigger problem. And that's what's inside of us. Because all of us, because all of us have sinned against a perfect and righteous God, our Creator. All of us have rebelled against what he told us to do and how he told us to live. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we even realize it or not, we've all rebelled, we've all stained our own hearts. And Jesus came to save us from our biggest problem. Not out there, in here. And that's why he had to come to die. Because God is a righteous judge. He died to pay the penalty, the correct, just price for our sin. He took it on himself. Last week we talked about, do you remember? We talked about how the angels said in Luke, hey, I when they were announcing Christmas, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. I think there's been a shift in our culture today. And what it is, is when we hear news, whether it's good news or bad news, we check to find out if it's true or not. 
And so if we hear bad news, we'll check to find out if it's true. If we say bad news, let's say, let's say there was an announcement and we heard the news that Amazon was going to go back to selling books, nothing else. That would be bad news for a lot of people in here because you'd actually have to physically go out and go to a store rather than do everything on the internet. Bad news. Or even if it's good news. If it's good news, that doesn't mean it's true. But if it's good news, it causes us to want it to be true. So we will go and investigate to see whether it's true or not. Since the very beginning, Christianity has been described as the good news. The best news for all of us. That Jesus came to deal with our heart problem before God. And that's what he did. He came for us. Here's the problem. People aren't investigating the truthfulness of Christianity, I think, because they don't see Christianity as good news anymore. But good news is exactly what Christianity is. And here's the problem. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian or you no longer consider yourself a Christian. Maybe you're here and, and the, the version of the good news that you grew up with wasn't good for you. The version of Christianity that your parents practice was not good news. The church that you used to go to, that message they had, that was not good news for you. The Christianity, the version of Christianity that you left years ago wasn't good news. The version of Christianity or, or good news that you're getting ready to walk away from is not the original good news. Not the good news that God has given to us. Not the good news that started at the very first Christmas. And the question is, where are you in that? Because the original news was so good. People saw it as so good that it was compelling. And it caused people to check it out. It caused people to investigate whether it was true or not. Don't dismiss the true meaning of Christmas. Don't dismiss that one profound word, Emmanuel. God with us. Because Jesus came to die for us and make a way that we can be reconnected with God simply through faith, simply by calling out on God, calling to him in belief, asking for forgiveness, and wanting to do life with him. That is the good news of Christmas. He came to take away our sins, not to deal with Rome or our circumstances. He came to deal with our sin problem. And it's free, a gift we receive through faith. Let's stand together.
before I close in prayer, and we have another song. If you're here with us today and you're thinking, I don't have that relationship or I'm not sure that I do, we actually have some packets of information uh, in these baskets on each side of the platform, also in room one, also at the information table. It's just a bag with, you know, $15, $20 worth of information. There's a book in there and some other things that we think you'll find helpful, whether you're just investigating Christianity or whether you're ready to give your heart to God. There's stuff in there that'll help you either way. And we want you to grab that before you leave. But before that, let's, let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for Christmas. And God, help us. Lord, we pray that you would help us, that we wouldn't lose the meaning of the original Christmas, the original good news, the profound Emmanuel, God with us, for us. God, help us to concentrate on that, celebrate that news, celebrate you. And Father, for our friends and family who are here standing with us today who maybe don't have that relationship, they're just like we were. God, we pray that your spirit would would somehow connect with their hearts and help them to see your love for them and and all of our, our need for you. And that this would be a step that they would take towards you today and maybe grabbing one of those bags thinking through this investigating your claims Lord we pray that would happen today and God we thank you thank you thank you for Christmas in Christ's name we pray amen